0: Hacking can be thought of as tinkering, taking things apart and putting them back together as an interesting experience. There's always been some of this as part of software culture, but the people at Major League Hacking have taken this to a whole new level, bringing together tech creators who enjoy playing around with and creating new technology on campuses and now in virtual spaces all over the world. John Gottfried, one of the co-founders of Major League Hacking, joins the show to talk about hacker meetups and events, hackathons what it's like to go to a hackathon, how to help out with a hackathon as an experienced engineer, even virtually as a mentor. Hackathons continuing virtually during the pandemic, and also because of the pandemic, internships and fellowships on open source projects to help students gain experience. And the major league hacking approach to internships is really pretty cool, giving interns a support group, including peers, mentors, and project maintainers. Welcome to Testing Code. Today on Testing Code, I am thrilled to have John Gottfried. John is involved with Major League Hacking, and we're going to find out what that is and how involved he is in just a moment. John, uh, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. I'm John Gottfried. I'm one of the co-founders of Major League Hacking. And we are the global community for student developers.
0: Okay. And so this like that just even opens up tons of questions I have.
1: (laughs) A lot to unpack there.
0: Yeah. So Major League Hacking, some people, I guess, new or old to software may have a question about what hacking means because sometimes that's referred to as a bad thing. So what do you mean by hacking?
1: Our definition of hacking is more on the tinkering side of things than the security side. Generally, we're thinking of hackers as like tech creators of some sort. You could be a developer, you could be a designer, you could be a hardware engineer, but you're someone who enjoys playing around with and creating new technology. I'm a fan of hacker history myself, read quite a bit about it and experienced some of it. And, you know, I think, all of the different traditions of hacking kind of come out of the same core curiosity about technology and, you know, the idea that things should be taken apart and put back together as a interesting experience. And we lean very heavily into that. But when people think of like, I don't know, like capture the flag, security stuff, that's not really our core focus.
0: Okay, that's awesome. So Major League Hacking, just uh, jump in there. What's Major League Hacking
1: then? So we've been around for about seven years, so relatively recent as far as uh, hacker culture is concerned. And, you know, my myself and my co-founder, uh, Swift, started the company after working as developer evangelists. So I was at a company called Twilio. He was at SendGrid. Ironically, they are merged since then. But at the time, we were frequent partners and collaborators. And both of us had kind of gotten started as developers, as hackers, by attending community events like hackathons and meetups and similar things. And, you know, I think that at the time, we were in a position where as developer evangelists, we were mentoring a lot of up and coming people, we were sponsoring a lot of events, we were really involved with like, growing the the hacker community, specifically in New York, but you know, also traveling quite a bit around the world to do that. And one of the most inspiring things for me was working with students and young people in general, because there was a element of like, not necessarily being acclimated to all of the like, blockers that I think we take for granted when we get further in our careers, right? Like there, there ends up being a lot more process and bureaucracy and stuff like that. And when we would go to these students' events, they were so wild and out there and open-ended that like you could see anything from someone, you know, building a homemade self-driving car in 24 hours to, you know, someone like hacking on like genetic data, right? And I I think- That was so inspiring to us. And we started working with a lot of these student like leaders on different campuses. And out of that, really, like an entire movement formed. Over the course of like months, we went from seeing maybe one or two big hacker events a semester to hundreds. And a large part of that was kind of taking all of that knowledge and all those learnings and making it available to a wider group. And that's kind of remained Major League Hacking's mission over those seven years is making hacker culture accessible to people, bringing new people in and teaching constantly changing generation of like organizers and leaders, how to bring people together around, you know, technology.
0: That's awesome. So when you brought up students, is that mostly college students or are you involved with younger people as well?
1: So, we've mostly been involved with college students. We do work with a handful of high school students, but at least pre pandemic, college campuses were quite easy to organize and host events at. And so that has always been our sweet spot. We work, I think last year we hosted something like I don't know, like maybe close to two or three thousand events on campus. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, now all of that has turned virtual, but hasn't really slowed down because people are as hungry for this culture as ever. And so college students definitely have like a lot of time, a lot of energy and a lot of passion and curiosity for new things. And it's been like a natural breeding ground for I guess like getting new people interested in technology.
0: Okay. And you said you were at Twilio before as an evangelist. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So you were, as part of that role, you were attending hackathons and stuff and just wanted to run with that more?
1: Yeah. You know, I think for me, I have a history degree. I didn't study computer science, but i had always been one of those people that like really enjoyed tinkering with technology. Like one of my first big projects as a kid was working on a mud. Most people haven't heard of those these days, but for me, that was like the coolest thing since sliced bread, because I could go online and build a game that people could connect to from anywhere in the world, right? And so I learned programming through that. And when I went to college, I was kind of turned off by how academic CS was. Yeah.
0: Thank you, Datadog, for sponsoring this episode. Are you having trouble visualizing bottlenecks and latency in your apps and not sure where the issue is coming from? Or how to solve it? With Datadog's end-to-end monitoring platform, you can use their customizable built-in dashboard to collect metrics and visualize app performance in real time. Datadog automatically correlates logs and traces at the level of individual requests, allowing you to quickly troubleshoot your Python applications. Plus, their service map automatically plots the flow of requests across your app architecture, so you can understand dependencies and proactively monitor the performance of your apps. Start tracking the performance of your apps, sign up for free, and install the agent, and Datadog will send you a free t-shirt. To get started, visit testingcode.com Datadog. What's a mud?
1: Oh man, <laughs> we could talk for an hour about this uh, alone. <laughs> it is a multi-user dungeon. The way I describe it to most people is, imagine if World of Warcraft had no graphics. Like if you just played it on the command line.
0: Oh, okay. Got
1: it. So all of the the world was entirely text-based. All of the commands were text-based. Um, there's a lot of like role-playing involved, you know, writing out things almost like you would do in D&D or something similar. Okay. Um, and they were really, really popular in like the 80s-ish, you know, before yeah. a lot of those like MMOs. And there's still, you know, kind of a, a niche sub-community that's really interested in them. But that was how I got my start.
0: Okay, sorry to derail you.
1: No, it's totally fine. Uh, but yeah, like in college, I found cs to be very academic and didn't really like focus enough on the fun tinkering part of it that I loved. but I ended up getting like these small odd jobs doing development work for different local companies. and at one of those companies, a friend of mine dragged me to my first hackathon, and that like totally changed my perspective on the tech industry in general because I had kind of assumed it was like office space where everyone sat in a cubicle and hated their lives and filled out (laughs) reports, right? Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, certainly some companies are like that. But I think the thing that I learned from the hackathon, which was an event called Music Hack Day, was that it was a lot more multifaceted and a lot more fun. Like this was an event where it was like musicians and programmers and hardware engineers and designers like all collaborating on like wacky, Totally non, I would say like anti utilitarian technology, right? Like it was purely fun, interesting stuff to build for the sake of building it. And that got me super excited about it and led me to working at Twilio and, you know, eventually led me to starting MLH because I, I thought that that was something that more people should have access to. You know, like I've always lived in New York and it's certainly not the Bay Area, you know, it's not Silicon Valley, but there there's always been a very vibrant hacker culture here. And going around and visiting a lot of these like college towns and campuses, it clearly this was something that people were excited about and would benefit from if only they had access.
0: That's fascinating. I really I'd like to circle around to at some point the CS program didn't focus on the fun tinkering part. I don't know if we can solve that, but It's something I noticed as well. I mean, I got into software because it was fun. Mm -hmm. And then, like, a lot of the CS stuff was fun, but a lot of it was just a lot of work. And a lot of it, I don't understand why. I mean, a lot of it seemed like artificial barriers put up to try to call people out that weren't serious about software. Yep. And I don't think we need to be serious about software. It can be fun. The Music Hack Day just sounds like a blast. I would have loved to have attended something like that.
1: Yeah. It was great.
0: But I have a confession. I've never been to a hacker event at all. Wow. So and I know that there probably range. There's not probably not a typical one. But if you could like pick something and describe, like, if I show up at a, if I sign up for a hackathon or a hack event or something, what's it going to look like? What's my day going to be looking like? And what do I need to have ahead of time before I show up?
1: Yeah. I always like to describe a hackathon as an invention marathon. Generally, they're held over the weekend, so 24 to 36 hours long. You know, most people show up with like a laptop, maybe some other supplies if they want to do hardware, you know, like Arduinos or stuff like that, and a vague inkling of an idea. Not everyone shows up with team members. You know, it's often a very friendly environment to find new collaborators. And, you know, within the first few hours of the event, people kind of organically band together and come up with an interesting idea that they want to play around with. And they spend the weekend building a prototype of it. That's that's like the core formula. Almost every hackathon culminates in demos. Many of them have prizes. Uh, some don't. And you know it's it's just like a cool place to a see what a lot of other people are building and tap into their expertise but also be you know be in an environment that is very focused and has a lot of people working towards a shared goal of creating something cool and that's pretty much it often you learn things by going through that process often you build really strong like personal relationships friendships collaborators for future projects and That's like the basic formula. You know, it's really quite simple when you think about it. It's a dedicated time and place to build cool stuff with other people.
0: So I could show up with a laptop and just help out with somebody else's project if I didn't have a project in mind? Yeah,
1: absolutely. That's really common. And the, I don't know, like the most interesting hackathons I've ever worked on were situations where I attended, met someone brand new for the first time. They had a cool idea that I wanted to help with, and we got to know each other by working together over the weekend.
0: Oh, that's cool. Now, 24 to 36 hours seems like a long time. Is this like constant, like people sleeping and eating during that time?
1: You know, it kind of depends. All of our events, we encourage people to sleep. There are definitely people who power through and stay up the whole time. I've done that myself. I would not recommend it. Uh, (laughs) It's not very fun or healthy. So I would say that usually you're looking at like working a solid like 10 to 12 hour day and then sleeping, which sounds like a lot, you know, if you're comparing it to a work day. But if you're comparing it to like a side project that you're really excited about at home over the weekend, it's not that crazy to think about.
0: Yeah, right. Exactly. That just sounds like fun. It's definitely something that college students would probably have a lot of fun with. Definitely. I would have totally dug that as a college student. So. I want to tell you about a really amazing sponsor I'm partnering with. Monday.com is an easy-to-use, flexible, and visual teamwork platform that powers teams to run processes, projects, and build custom workflows in one digital workspace. Beautifully designed to manage any team, organization, or process online. Monday.com powers over 100,000 teams' daily work, and they just launched a contest to build apps that will be included in their marketplace launch. You can build an app that can improve the way teams work together on Monday.com. Whether it's an app to help marketing, construction, sales, software developers, or anything in between, they are looking for creative, impactful, amazing apps to feature in their upcoming Apps Marketplace. They're giving away $180,000 in prizes, including three Teslas, 10 MacBooks, and more. Have you ever dreamt of building an app that impacts the daily lives of hundreds of thousands of people? Well, now's your chance. Check it out at monday.com slash contest and start building now. That's monday.com slash contest. Anyway, and then how about like your education-wise or a background? Do I need to... Does everybody need to know coding and stuff before, or is it a whole range of abilities that show up?
1: Most hackathons are very, very beginner friendly. Most of the, the events that MLH has on campus have a wide variety of structured workshops alongside the open-ended hacking time. So you'll see people where it's like, hey, like I'm an engineer at Microsoft teaching you how to do web development for the first time. That kind of stuff is really common. And often provides like a nice on-ramp for people who are not as comfortable or not as experienced. The other thing that is really common is joining a team of more experienced people and just kind of like pairing and having that peer learning. Oh, yeah. I think I've probably learned more just like watching someone code and pairing with them at a hackathon than I have in most engineering jobs I've had, because I think that you're you know, forced to figure out creative solutions fairly quickly and talk through them so that, you know, they will, you know, net out well. But yeah, I mean, it's super beginner friendly. I mean, I've been at hackathons with people who have never written a line of code in their life, working alongside someone who has 10 years of engineering experience and really everything in between.
0: Now, and is MLH actually putting on these 3000 events or something in a normal non COVID year, or are you working with other people hosting them or how does that work?
1: We work with a uh, local student organizers. So you can almost think of them like chapters of the organization. So we have a team whose entire job is, like coaching organizers to put on events. We have a lot of like open source docs and resources that talk people through it. And then we have like actual coaching calls and discussion groups and things like that to help people, you know, with more specific things that come up. So, you know, those 3,000 events are largely put on by student groups on campus with the guidance of MLH. Frankly, like we're a relatively small organization. And so I don't think we have the capabilities to organize 3000 events ourselves. But certainly like we want to build sustainable communities on campus. And I think the best way to do that is to have students self organize around a lot of it and create like, whatever the structure is like a club or a society on campus that can continue running for many years.
0: Okay. And now one of the things I actually heard about MLH through somebody talking about an internship, and I'm looking around your website, and there's There's things like internships and also fellowship. Mm -hmm. So tell me, what are these things?
1: So back in, I guess it was April now, we started to see a lot of news coming out that internship programs were getting canceled because of COVID. Certainly many companies converted to remote programs, but many more canceled them outright or rescinded offers. And as we started to like think about that and kind of the, the disproportionate impact that that had on students who were entering the industry, we started brainstorming ways that we could supplement what people got out of internships. So we ended up kind of coming up with this idea for a open source fellowship program and launching it. And within a matter of weeks, we got about 20,000 applications. Mm. Of those applications, we were able to bring on about 150 fellows and we were actually able to pay them all a scholarship like stipend to work on open source over the summer under the guidance of like a a mentor so all those 150 students got paired up with peer groups uh, who had similar skill sets experienced engineers who could mentor them and then open source maintainers that they could contribute to and Ended up being really successful, you know. Like I, we were definitely building the bridge as we crossed it. Like it was a very chaotic sprint to creating and launching this program over a matter of weeks, but it ended up working super well. And people made major contributions to projects that are used by millions of developers, like things like Homebrew or React or Z Shell or Flask. Or there's thirty or forty of them that I could list, and you know, it was super impressive and students got a lot out of it. And many of them felt like it was a better experience than they got through a traditional internship. And from our perspective, it is a much more public artifact of their work and code quality that they can use in the future. And many of them are continuing to contribute to these projects now that the fellowship is over. So all around, I feel like it was a huge success. Relaunched it for the fall semester. It's starting in a couple of weeks. And then we're going to be running another batch in the spring and the coming summer. And I think it's a a really fun addition to the options out there for students. We're not the first program to offer like an open source fellowship. We definitely have our own twist on it with the mentors and things like that. But frankly, like the, the demand is so high that I'm hoping there will be many more opportunities like this for for students in the future.
0: Okay, so you're paying some of these people or the fellowship program is a paid thing. Mm -hmm. Where's that money coming from? Do you have sponsors paying for that?
1: Yeah. We have corporate partners who paid for that. So GitHub was the main sponsor and and they're continuing to be a sponsor of the program. Uh, Facebook open source has been really involved, Royal Bank of Canada, Dev.2, you know, Twilio indeed. Like there's there's kind of a laundry list of companies that largely are invested in the open source community already and you know see this as a way of kind of onboarding future contributors and you know maintainers hopefully
0: that's incredible actually and the resume building part of it is phenomenal as well the building software that you can have in your project portfolio and talk about for you know future job interviews and whatever because like you said original i mean a lot of in-house internships you're going to be working on something that you can't share with anybody you can talk about the project but you can't share the code because the code's like uh you know part of a company's code set so
1: yep it's pretty it's pretty cool right like i i feel like is an awesome feeling as a developer to create something that other people are using right and to do that like as someone who probably has never had a job in the industry before is amazing these students can go out and be like hey like you know that React profiling tool set you use every day at your web development job? I created that. Right. And that's like wild.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's really amazing. And yeah. Just uh, there's a lot of stuff with there with a uh, ton pack as well. I think it's neat that you're providing matching people up with peers and and mentors and hooking people up with maintainers that can also work with, with them to try to find ways to contribute. And then those these people are probably gonna end up being as they enter industry, more basically as good of a remote worker as everybody else that shows up.
1: Yep. That was definitely something of the time. I think if not for, you know, everyone being like sheltered in place, it's possible we would have run this program in person. And I think it's kind of probably better experience that they're learning how to do it remotely, right? Like having remote standups, pair programming over Zoom. You know, I think certainly that's going to be a valuable skill set in the coming a uh, couple of years.
0: Right. And you can also match people up with a mentor that doesn't necessarily have to be in the same city as the person.
1: Yep. Yeah. I mean, the program ended up being incredibly global. Like we had students from, I think close to 30 countries participating and wow. a lot of these tech industry opportunities tend to be very us like, or, you know, North America centric. And that was definitely, I think, one of the highlights of the program is that you had students in India collaborating with a student in Nigeria, collaborating with a student in Mississippi, all on the same open source project.
0: Okay. So MLH, is this a company or how do you guys make money?
1: Yeah. So we're um, structured as a, a public benefit corp or a B corp, which is kind of like a new model of company that's a mission driven for profit company. You know, the biggest difference between that and a traditional corporation is that you are legally required to consider your mission alongside the corporate profit motive that every company has. So what that looks like in reality is it gives us the kind of authority to turn down opportunities that we feel are counterproductive to our mission, even if they might generate a lot of money allows us to measure our impact every single year in like a public report. And it goes into a lot more depth beyond that. Okay. It's kind of a cool model. I see it personally as like an alternative to a nonprofit. You know, it has a lot of the flexibility of being a for-profit company from like a regulatory perspective with a lot of the mission and impact that nonprofits often talk about. Some other B Corps that people probably are more familiar with is like Patagonia or Warby Parker or Etsy, I think, for a long time, where, you know, they kind of like had this mission and business motive working in parallel. I'd like to see more of those. Yeah. And then, sorry, to answer the second part of your question, we, we make money from corporate sponsors. So all the student services we provide are free to them. Um, Like all the hackathons, workshops, you know, organizer training, we basically just provide that to them as a uh, in-kind service. And it's funded by different folks who, you know, are invested in uh, academic like tech education, right? So companies like GitHub, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, et cetera.
0: Yeah, people that really want to make college programming still fun, even if their classes are not.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we done a really good job of making these like mutually beneficial partnerships where we can like fund our programs, fund our staff and give a lot to students as a result. And, you know, I think it's a cool model that more companies should think about, right? It's definitely kind of unique.
0: If somebody wants to get involved with helping hackathons, how do you get involved with hackathons as an adult?
1: Yeah, totally. So if you go to our website, which is mlh.io, or majorleaguehacking.com, there are tons of hackathons up there, and almost all of them are looking for mentors, especially virtually, which often involves like, you, you know, logging on to a Discord or a Slack server over the weekend and answering tech questions as they come up—that's a really easy way to get involved. Beyond that, all of the hackathons and MLH ourselves have sponsorship opportunities. For example, if your company is looking to hire interns or something along those lines, you can sponsor a hackathon and you know work with them more directly. And beyond that, in the fellowship, we are hiring mentors which is a full-time role mentoring students in how to contribute to open source. And we're also always looking for maintainers, which is a free way to get involved aside from the time that you would put into helping new contributors. And you can find all the info about that on our website. But people are also welcome to email me. I'm john at mlh.io. Always happy to hear from folks in the community.
0: Okay, well, this has been really fun and I'm excited. I'm just excited that hackathons and hacking is a thing still. And, and growing in popularity. And I hope that your company and hackathons in general just take off and are more of a normal thing everywhere.
1: Thank you. I, I'm really excited about it too.
0: <laughs> and uh, thanks for joining us. You said MLH is MLH.io. If people mm-hmm. want to know more about you specifically, is there somewhere to find you?
1: Yeah, I'm on basically every social network or website as John Mark Go. That's J-O-N-M-A-R-K-G-O on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, you name it. Okay, cool.
0: Well, thanks a lot for your time today. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, John and MajorLink Hacking for this amazing resource for students around the world. Thank you, Datadog, for sponsoring. Check them out at testandcode.com slash Datadog. Thank you, monday.com for sponsoring. Join their contest at monday.com contest. And thank you to all the listeners who support the show through Patreon. Join them by going to testandcode.com support. All of those links are in the show notes at testandcode.com 133. That's all for now. Now go out and test something.